Let us, after the sermon, sing Psalm 103, the seventh and the eighth stanzas. Our text for this afternoon is found with the first verses of chapter 6, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, verses 1 through 4. We will read them again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we could listen to a sermon on the relationship between husband and wife. We now turn our attention to the relationship between parents and children, which seemed to be a logical way to go. From the relationship of husband and wife comes the relationship of parents to children. It all sounds simple enough, but is it that simple, is the question. It is not all that difficult. I say that guardedly. It's not all difficult to procreate, to have children. Not to minimize the miracle of birth, but brothers and sisters, having them, having children is only a small part. How we receive them and bring them up is quite another matter. And then we may observe and see all the terrible things that are happening in our society today, the neglect of of children, abortion. There's so much in society which which says to us that man no longer has regard for life, not even what is in the womb. Should we expect that in the bringing up of children they should be perfect? We heard it a couple weeks ago young man coming up to an older couple and for whatever reason for whatever may have been said takes a knife and stabs the man to death even as this man's wife is trying to protect her husband by hitting this youth with her purse it would appear the young man had a smirk on his face as he was committing this terrible act but one, one in, it's but one incident in, in a million. And we pay more attention to it because it is nearer to home. And so our thoughts are it might have happened to us. Meantime, of course, this man has been caught. 
as I was preparing the sermon, it wasn't the case yet. So what I say was, was more or less an on average assessment of what usually takes place in these, in these incidents. People begin to look at the man's character. What motivated this young man to do what he did? And before you know it, there will be some evidence which shows that he had a terrible youth, perhaps from a broken home, not necessarily from a poor family. In all likelihood, it will have been about supporting an addiction. And then we ask the question, how did it get to this? That's what society asks. It's just about one incident, but it again shows the deterioration of family life in our society. And so men and women, husbands and wives may reproduce and have children, but one very quickly realizes that not every family situation produces the same results. And that's not to say this afternoon that every Christian marriage will produce decent children, whereas non-Christian marriages are the only source of undisciplined and wayward children. We know better than that. Nevertheless, in looking at this a bit closer, let us try to understand that raising a family is not as easy as just to have children. How we do that and what we do is what is of all importance. Brothers and sisters, Children of God are by definition those who realize that their strength is not in themselves. To be a Christian is to say that all of your hope and strength lies with the risen Christ. But do we live to experience that truth as as parents? Over against our children, do we place ourselves in a position to take direction from the word of God? in the instruction of our children, you may say, of course, we're Christians after all. What do you expect? Well, we can expect almost anything, congregation, as much as we often see almost everything. How, how is it But all too often we separate what we confess from how we actually live. And so the question before us this afternoon, how committed are we in carrying out our covenant mandate day by day, beloved? Let us listen then this afternoon to the word of the Lord as we find it with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, under the following theme and heads. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We will see, one, the importance of bringing up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Secondly, that it may go well with the children who listen and obey. First of all, then, the importance of bringing up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Perhaps you've heard it already, but we say it anyhow. We will look at verse 4 of our text before we deal with verse 2 and 3. We do that for a good reason. 
We must know the role of parents before we can speak about the role of children. In many ways, it's, it's cause and effect. Besides, there are things spoken of in the previous chapter which lend itself to our doing it in this manner, addressing the parents first of all. Let's look at those things in chapter 5. First of all, it begins with the call for us to imitate, to be imitators of God as dearly loved children and to live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Who is addressed here as children? Well, in the first place, it's not the children that parents might raise. This is addressing the parents, the mature believers, one and all. In order for us to deal with our children, in order to bring them up in the fear of the Lord, we must first of all know that we ourselves are children of God. And let us now conclude that there will have been parents of children among these imitators of God. It goes without saying, of course. And Paul says to all a little later on, chapter 5, Do not be partners with the immoral, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. We see here that Paul makes a sharp contrast between what those do who belong to the Lord and what those do who belong to the world. Heard that this morning? It's the same thing here. We need to identify that congregation. We must never confuse the two. The fruit of the light consists in of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, he says. And therefore, he adds, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. He says, but rather expose them. In order to make how important this is, Paul says that the believers must not be asleep to what needs to be done. He says, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So he's exhorting the Christians in these words. Obviously, there are those who, in his day, were not doing as they ought to, not using the gifts of Christ as they should have. And he calls them, wake up he says be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise and there's a difference there making the most of the opportunity that is given to you as parents over against your children because the days are evil We live in a society that is evil and it's imposing itself on our lives. And it has effects on how we live. And therefore we have to be cautious, but we also have to be diligent. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We need each other 
as, as the communion of saints. We need to influence each other. Submit to one another. He then goes on to speak those well-known words of how wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. And so let us combine all of this together now, brothers and sisters, to see what we get. What do we get? Well, we get to see the love of Christ in the sacrifice he brought. This pleased God. And therefore, we may say that both Jesus Christ and the Father did everything they did out of love for us. If God is this good for us, and He is, then we must also express the influence that that goodness has on our lives as well. We must express goodness. And we can say that is understandable. It's, it's consequential. For we must be so happy and so delighted in our lives for the, the loving sacrifice that Jesus brought that He has saved us, body and soul, in so doing. There is no greater gift that any of us could ever receive in life. And so what is the consequence of that? What do we do as a result? Is it not that our thoughts should be upon making a similar sacrifice? And then Paul gives us every reason to make that same sacrifice. For he says, we must be imitators of God. And yes, congregation, that's not a small matter. We're not by nature inclined to do that as all, at all, to imitate him. We more often than not react in life out of frustration or of selfish motive. We so quickly tire of doing good because of the energy it takes. We're often quite ready to throw in the towel of doing what God wants and resorting back to the things that are immoral and impure. That comes naturally, old naturally. And therefore it's just a matter of doing as we might be inclined. But then Paul has said, wake up! Wake up, Christians! Know what you are in Christ." Know what you are as husband and wife then as well. You are the unit for doing what brings goodness on this earth. You are the ones who are to make a difference. Starting with how you approach life. And then next, you may do what you need to do for your children. And so we come to the words of our text starting with verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not frustrate them. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. How much are you doing just that, fathers? And you too, mothers? 
How much are you bringing up your children in the training and the instruction of the Lord? It's easy to say, oh, well, we have our Christian school. We have teachers that will help us in that. And that's a wonderful thing, a wonderful privilege. But one sometimes senses that a lot of effort on the part of parents goes out the window on those, on those occasions as well. Yeah, it's so easy to, to have good intentions. But what do we do? God calls you to be holy. He calls you to be like Him, to imitate Him. You know what that's saying? It's not saying make sure you read all the right child-rearing books so that your children may be psychologically well-balanced when they grow older. You're given much more than that. Life-alteringly much more. How so? Well, God is dedicated to giving you everything you stand in need of as a covenant covenant partner with him. He's given you his son to make your standing right over against him. And in the process to equip you with everything needed to make a difference, to make a difference in this world of sin and death. And it's in that light that he says, don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them to a life of frustration. What does that mean? How does one provoke or exasperate one's children? You may say, my children are not provoked by what I do. I give them every opportunity to live wholesome lives. I participate in their activities. They like it when I get involved with them. And so you see it today. Parents do more for their children now than any other time in our history. Children receive so much more than they used to. Parents were often too busy in the past, ecking out a living, to give the one-on-one attention that the children might have had. And if they are too busy in today's rat race, then they push on their children all sorts of electronic gadgets to keep them entertained. It seems almost as if having their own wheels or their MP3 players and other fancy gadgets are are a natural part of, of their attire, of how they're expected to live. We do lots for our children today, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. And in fact, we may have to harness in some of that giving that we do. Paul's not saying here, make your children happy, in that he says, don't exasperate them. I know the text has often been used. 
for saying children obey, then they say, yeah, but you shouldn't get your children ticked off either. You shouldn't get them angry at you. Well, that's not what Paul is saying here. And sometimes our children may need to be exasperated in those things. And that you withhold certain things from them. But what Paul says here is in light of how we belong to God in the covenant of love. And what does that entail? Paul says to parents that they have been given a task to make the holiness of God, which is what they are imitating, a part of their children's lives. And then it's not whether the child is exasperated or provoked because you do not give them what they want. But Paul is here speaking of the duty you have to give them what they need. You may need to discipline them and correct them. They may not like that personally. They may feel exasperated. They may come to you with questions of why not? Why can't I? You may see them frustrated, provoked by the answers you give. You must be home at 11. No, you may not go to that party. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, what Paul is speaking about here is about parents taking away the gifts that should be the children's in Christ for building them up and bringing them to lives of mature Christians. And then the exasperation or the provocation is not about whether they are personally provoked by what you may have said to them, but the provocation here is seen in the disservice you have given where the end result may quite well be they are no longer members of the body of Christ because you've withheld giving them the gifts that should have been theirs in Christ. It's here about how God may say to you as parents, don't give my covenant children messages of life which only serve to frustrate them in coming to my kingdom. You may be doing that by giving, heaping gifts upon gifts on there, on them. You may be taking the kingdom away. One of the greatest tasks facing the Christian family is to educate their children so that they become solid citizens in the kingdom of Christ. We may seem to be giving them security. They may lavish on them all sorts of good things for their immediate futures. But if you repress in your children's personal growth, in the ways of the Lord. If you take away the things, the gifts of Christ that should be theirs, then all the good you think you may have done will be of little benefit for the most important thing in their life, namely their eternal salvation. Do your children know what it means to live with Christ in the family? Is he constantly introduced as being there when you sit together, whether at table or in the living room? 
Living with Christ means having a very close relationship and a daily communication with Him. Do you think Jesus is an out, outside convenience? Do you think you can just come to Him when you want and leave Him out in other times? Do you know that the business of God is holiness? Do you know that that holiness of God is something that is untouchable? The people at the base of Mount Sinai would have been killed if they had touched the smoking mountain on which God had descended. This is what you're dealing with when it comes to the message of the Lord and and its distribution. You can't just take God when you want and leave Him when you want. He is a consuming fire. He seeks to rule over what belongs to Him. You need to know that. Yes, and you need to teach that. Christ is the head of the house. That's how you have to see it. His order must be your order. His rule must be your rule. Christ is given the place of leadership by God for to do good to you. And therefore you need to consciously and diligently follow Him, fathers and mothers. Christ's image, God's image, must be continually before our eyes. You are no longer of this world. Your citizenship is in heaven. And then Paul puts it very strongly in Galatians chapter 4 when he speaks about the need of Christ to be formed in you. He says, My dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. We need to fill the lives of our children with Christ. How to do that? Well, our children must hear, they must see Christ in us. He must be understood by them in our thinking and in our doing, mothers and fathers. We must build on Him, expressing ourselves, giving Him the glory as we do so. You see, fathers and mothers, if you do not bring up your children in this discipline and through this way of instruction of the Lord, then you exasperate your children as far as God is concerned on account that you deny them their rightful due in Christ. And then the call is there to your children, brothers and sisters. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Are you in the position to have them do that? Have you trained yourself enough to be able to train them enough? Have you disciplined them and instructed them enough so that they Know what is right? 
Well, with that, we come to answering that. We come to the last point. That it may go well with the children who listen and obey. God is a God of order, brothers and sisters, and you, boys and girls, and of them. Indeed, he's also the great restorer of order in our lives. He created man and woman so that they should be there for each other, functioning as husband and wife, in good service to him. And I know, brothers and sisters, there are also singles among us, those who will not experience this or have not experienced this, and we don't minimize their position. But we are addressing here that process of of parents having children. And of that all of us can learn. All of us may understand. Whether we are married or whether we're not. For it's a matter of being imitators of God. And that's for all of us. And then for the one it is for raising children. For the others it may be for doing other functions in the, in the kingdom of our Lord. That you as singles may do. And you also have to be equipped for that. You also have to know what it is to imitate God so that you may show that in, in our society in one function or, or another. God has established a covenant of love with us and he's carried through with that love even after the fall. He intended that as husband and wife we should receive him as partner in our marriages. He would be our guide. He would be the third party at our table. Under his guidance, you as fathers and mothers are to bring up children into the world so that they, under your instruction, may be equipped to carry on in the same way as you have. As we said before, here we touch upon the holiness of God. We must therefore not imagine that the task will be easy. In fact, as parents, the first thing we have to understand is that we must do what is impossible for sinful, defective mothers and fathers to do. How to do that on our own? We must guide our families and bring them to maturity through every storm and tempest in our daily walk of life. How shall we even begin to carry out that task? You need Jesus to be with you. You need God in your life. That's why it is so important to direct all things toward living for Christ. To see Him as central in your family. We cannot stress that enough, congregation. Sometimes He's just a word at the end of a prayer. And then we've rattled it off even when, we, when we've said His name. He must be formed in us so that He can be seen by our children in us in every possible way. Then we can say that it may go well with your children as they are taught to listen to us as parents and to obey us. Yes, Paul calls the children to obey. But how shall they obey? if they've not been taught in the way of obedience. 
Do you see the task that lies before you, parents? The onus is really on you. You should not expect your children to obey from out of themselves. You can't call them to obedience if you haven't shown them the way of Christ, first of all. It's already a demanding task for you to carry on diligently in training them. You have to be in Christ. You have to be imitators of God. So how do you expect them to be obedient to God if you have not done your task? Shall they find a way of holiness if you've not trained them to walk therein? Realize that God is a God of order. Say it again. He gives parents so that they might teach their children in that order, not the other way around. That's the way of His good order. And then He wants you, first of all, to imitate Him, and then God will be able to reach your children in His ways through you. And then, again, I say, realize the task is impossible without Him. It will not get done if he's not part of the equation. But as importantly, it will not get done if you are not part of the equation either. Maybe an impossible task to perform if left to ourselves, but it is an impossible task as well if you're not willing to put your shoulder to the wheel to give this plan and purpose of God in which he's called you to be imitators of him to give that a push. We cannot just sit back and say the Lord has to do it all and we have nothing to do. We certainly can't come to salvation by anything we do. We can't lift one pinky in order to gain salvation. Nevertheless, we have work to do. Work out your own salvation, fear and trembling, as God is at work in you, that you should do so, that you should do that. Do you want it to go well with your children? Do you want them to enjoy a long and meaningful life on this earth? That's the promise that's given here, and it's as much as we hear it every Sunday. It's also for your children. As we hear it in the law, Sunday after Sunday. We have to want that. And if we do, then there is work to be done. In getting the children to obey you as parents in the Lord. Realize you don't stand in your own strength, however. Understand the all-important role that God plays in your life and in your marriage. Understand what he gives, that you may be called imitators of God, but then be prepared and ready to carry out the task God places on you as husband and wife. Live only for him and be the guiding and helpful father and mother to your children that you are privileged to be as God wants to work in the next generation through you. Amen.